0: Down Among the Dead Letters, a chapter from Overland Tales by Josephine Clifford. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers visiting Washington and admiring the style and architecture of the General Post Office building would never know that there are numbers of ladies seated behind the plate glass of the second story windows indeed few people residing in the capital are really aware in what part of the building those female clerks are stowed away i had passed on every side of the building morning noon and night but never had seen anybody that looked like a female clerk till i found myself of their number one morning and then i discovered the right entrance to the dead letter office it is on f street so close to the ladies delivery that any person entering here would be supposed to be inquiring for a letter at that delivery there is another entrance on E Street, but it is not much patronized by the ladies until after fifteen minutes past nine o'clock, for punctually at that time the doorkeeper is instructed to lock the ladies' door on F Street, and those who are tardy are compelled to go up the gentlemen's staircase or pass in at the large public entrance on E Street. Crowds of visitors walk through the building day after day, but not one of the ladies employed here do they see unless they request to be shown the rooms of the female employees. In this department, working hours are from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Ladies are not allowed to leave the office for lunch, nor do they waste much time in discussing the lunch they may have brought, as it is only in consideration of their industry and close application that they are allowed to leave the office at 3 o'clock instead of 4. The dead-letter office is one of the most complicated pieces of machinery in the ship of state. I will try to explain and elucidate as much of it as came under my observation letters left uncalled for at the different post offices throughout the country are sent to the dead letter office after a certain length of time letters not prepaid or short paid through neglect or ignorance of the writer also find their way here and so do foreign letters from all parts of Europe which have been prepaid only in part and therefore come here instead of reaching their destination sometimes mails are robbed and the mail bags hidden or thrown away but are afterwards searched for, and their remaining contents brought to this office. Then again, a vessel at sea, homeward bound, brings letters from ships meeting it, of sailors and passengers, who send their letters in firm faith that they will reach their anxious friends at home. But if our government happens to have no treaty or contract with that particular government, to which the writer belongs, of course, the letters cannot be forwarded, but are laid at rest here. These letters are carefully preserved for a number of years, They are sometimes called for, and found, a long, long time after they were written. In fact, only dead letters are destroyed. Though I wish to speak more particularly of the duties and labor performed by the ladies employed in this department, I must begin by saying that all letters pass through the hands of, and are opened by, a number of gentlemen, clerks in the department, whose room is on the ground floor of the building. A great number of letters contain money, valuable papers, and postage stamps, these are sent to the superintendent's room. Letters without contents are folded, with the envelope laid inside the letter, tied in bundles, and sent upstairs for directing. Money, drafts, and postage stamps, however, are not the only articles considered mailable matter by the public. One day I looked over a box filled with such matter, taken from dead letters and parcels in the opening room, and found in it one half-worn gaiter boot, two hairnets, a rag doll baby, minus the head and one foot, a set of cheap jewelry, a small-sized frying pan, two ambrotypes, one pair of white kid gloves, a nursing bottle, a toothbrush, a boot jack, three yards of lace, a box of Ayers pills, a bunch of keys, six nutmegs, a toddy stick, and no end of dress samples. This matter is allowed to accumulate for three months and is then sold at auction. But a register is so carefully kept that the person mailing the doll baby without prepaying can follow its progress from the little country town where it was mailed to the end of its career under the hammer at the dead letter office, and here can claim the amount it brought at auction. Every clerk, male or female, has his or her letter from A to Z and beginning again with AA when the alphabet runs out. Before the ladies take their places at the desk in the morning, the messenger has already placed there the number of envelopes each lady is expected to direct in the course of the day, and large baskets filled with bundles of letters sent up from the opening room. The bundles marked with the letter of the clerk through whose hands they have passed are brought into the rooms. The envelopes are stamped in one corner with the lady's letter in red, so that the ladies are spoken of, by the superintendent or the messengers, as Miss A, B, C, D not as miss miller or mrs smith fifty of these envelopes are contained in one package so that it is easy to calculate whether any of them are wasted by misdirecting or blotting the work looks simple enough when you see a number of ladies seated at their desks writing addresses on envelopes with the greatest apparent ease and then as a gushing young lady said to me one day how romantic it must be to listen to the outpourings of love and affection that these letters must contain in many cases And the dark secrets that others disclose she thought it a rather cruel restraint when i told her we were allowed to read only so much of a letter as was necessary to discover the name of the writer and to read no part of it if the name was signed clearly and distinctly at the end let the lady reader pause a moment and ask herself do i sign my letters so that one of these clerks could return them from the dead letter office without going over the whole of their contents by the time you have finished reading this paper I hope you will form the resolution to sign your name in full and just as it is to every letter you send by mail. Don't sign your name Seda when it is really Sarah Jones in full, and if you call your father's brick house on 3rd Street, Pine Grove because there are two dry pine trees in the front yard, don't neglect to add number 24 3rd Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. The greater number of letters passing through this office are badly written and uninteresting many of them so perfectly unintelligible that no human being can read or return them—not that the greater portion of our community are uneducated or unintelligent people, but that they are either reckless or careless. Letters directed with any kind of common sense are most always sure of reaching their destination without visiting the dead-letter office. Not only do people, in a number of cases, neglect to prepay their letters, But frequently letters without direction or address of any kind are dropped into the letter boxes. In writing to individuals residing in the same city with them, people think it is necessary only to mention the name of the individual. The post office man is expected to know that the letter is not to go out of the city. The post office people are, if not omniscient, at least very obliging. I have found a letter directed to Carrollton in America And the letter had been forwarded to and bore the postmark of every Carrollton in the United States before it was sent here. The work of the ladies falls under two heads, common and special. We will get the best idea of what common means in contradistinction to special by watching Miss A on common work this morning. Taking one of the bundles of letters from the basket, she opens it and takes up the top letter. Spreading it on the desk, she finds the envelope inside. It is directed to William Smith Philadelphia Penn, and the words uncalled for stamped on the envelope show why it was sent here. Now the signature is to be looked for. It is here, John Jones, next, where was it dated, Somerville, Ohio. But does the postmark on the envelope correspond with that? Yes, it is postmarked from where it was dated, so John Jones will receive his letter back again. His friend W. Smith may have left Philadelphia or may have died. John Jones' letter is returned to him in a coarse brown P.O.D. envelope, stamped with the letter A in one corner, and he pays three cents for the privilege of knowing that his friend Smith never received his letter. The next is a delicate pink affair, dated White Rose Bower, signed Ella, only this and nothing more, so the letter is hopelessly dead and thrown into the paper basket at Miss A's side. The epistle following this is signed Henry Foster, and could be returned if it had not been dated at whitehall and postmarked harrisburg on looking over the post office directory we may or may not find a whitehall in pennsylvania but there is nothing in the letter to show whether henry foster's home is in harrisburg or whitehall consequently that letter is dead too here is one signed plainly and legibly but the writer has omitted to date it from any particular place from the tone of the letter it is plainly to be seen that he lives where the letter was mailed but where was it mailed the postmark on the envelope is so indistinct that any lady not employed in the dead letter office would throw it aside as unreadable but ladies here learn to decipher what to ordinary mortals would be hieroglyphic or simply a blank after consulting the pages of the post office directory beside her miss a passes the envelope to miss b can you suggest any post office in indiana beginning with m ending with l with about four letters between miss b scrutinizes the envelope closely the postmark is not from indiana it is from iowa is her decision mrs c d and e at work in the same room differ in opinion and at last miss a steps across the hall to the room of the lady superintendent where a blue book is kept and with the assistance of this lady and the book miss a discovers the place in indiana directs the letter and continues her work When she is directed 50 letters, she ties them with both envelopes, the P.O.D. and original one, inside each letter, carefully together, and the messenger carries them into the folding room, where other ladies employed in this branch fold and seal them. Of these common letters, every lady is required to direct from 200 to 300 a day, a task by no means easy to accomplish. Special work is generally disliked by the ladies and is of a somewhat mixed character, Letters held for postage, consequently not dead, come under this head. They, too, are sent back to the writer, if the signature can be found, and the place from which they are dated corresponds with the postmark. If not, they are sorted according to letter and put away into pigeonholes, marked with the letter corresponding. Foreign letters, such as I spoke of before, come under this head, too. Then there are official letters, in relation to military and judicial matters short paid and therefore brought before this tribunal. These require minute attention as three and four documents are enclosed in one envelope sometimes, making it difficult to discover who is the proper person to return them to. Again, there are letters with postage stamps to be returned and money letters containing not over one dollar. Those with larger amounts are directed in the superintendent's room. Ladies directing stamp and money letters keep account of them in a book, submitted together with the letters to the superintendent at the close of office hours every day. Money letters are marked with red stars, stamp letters with blue. Stamps taken from dead letters are destroyed by the proper authorities. Then there is copying to do orders and circulars, rules and regulations, to be transmitted to the different local post offices, and translations to be made of communications received from foreign post departments. All this is special work. A large proportion of the letters passing through the office are German letters. Some French, Italian, Norwegian, and Spanish, but two German clerks are constantly employed, while one clerk can easily attend to the letters of all the other nationalities together sometimes it comes to pass that the superintendent visits one room or the other with a number of letters in his hand these have been misdirected or badly written the red letter stamped on each letter guides him to the desk of the lady who has directed it and very sensitive is each and every lady to the slightest reproach or reprimand received because of the universal kindness and respect with which they are treated by all the officials with whom they come in contact If the task of poring over these epistles of all kinds, day after day, is, on the whole, tiresome and wearing, there are certain many incidents to relieve the tedium of the occupation. Incidents, I say. Letters, I should say. The deep respect we entertain for a well-known army officer was justified to me by the insight his own letters gave me into his character." it is against the rules of the post office department to read any part of a letter unless it is necessary to do so in order to discover the correct address of the writer but as the general's handwriting is a little hasty and peculiar and his military honors and titles were not appended to those letters i speak of it was natural that they should be read by the clerks in order to ascertain whether they could be returned to the place they were written from one of these letters had been written to an old lady i judge so from the fact of his inquiring about her son and grandchildren somewhere in the south who it appeared had entertained the general at her house one day during the war when the general was very much in want of a dinner to eat he had not forgotten her kindness and hospitality though it was now after the close of the war but the old lady had probably removed from the little village to which the letter was directed or perhaps she had died so the letter came into our hands and was returned to the general Another was to an old friend of the General's. They had played together as boys, perhaps, but his friend had not risen to fame and fortune like himself. He was giving words to his deep sympathy with a misfortune or bereavement that had befallen his friend. Sympathy expressed with such tender, true feeling that we felt as though it were another bereavement that he should have lost this letter of the General's. The remark was often made among us that the dead-letter office afforded the very best opportunities for making collections of autographs of celebrated people. Only the authorities could not be made to see it in that light. It was always with a sigh of regret, I must confess, that letters signed by such names as Bancroft, Whittier, Beecher, Grant, Greeley were returned to their rightful owners. The most interesting accounts of foreign travel were sometimes contained in the dead-letters, accounts more interesting than any book ever published. These were, as a general thing, written by ladies, and that sealed their doom. Gentlemen writing letters almost always sign their full name, but a lady will write a dozen pages telling her friends all about the Louvre and the Tuileries, the Escurial and London Tower, in one long letter, and then sign Kate or Lily at the end, thus precluding all possibility of having her letter returned, though we know from it that she is returned to her home in Boston. It is almost incredible what a large number of letters passing through our hands are finished off by that classically beautiful verse, My pen is bad, my ink is pale, my love for you will never fail, and it is impossible to believe in how many different ways and styles these touching lines can be written and spelled till you find them dished up to you a dozen times a day in this office. Eastern people don't appreciate this poem as Western farmers do. Missouri rustics are particularly addicted to it. What the predilection of the southern people might have been I cannot say. It was just after the close of the war, and their letters were pitiful enough. Of course, there was not a federal postage stamp to be had in any of the southern states, and no matter how deeply the contents of some of these letters affected us, we could not forward them to the people they were addressed to. These letters from the south portrayed so terribly true the bitter, abject poverty of all classes at that time, that the northerners to whom they were written, would not have hesitated to assist these friends of better days, could they have received the letters. But, even had we been allowed to forward them, the chances were extremely slender that people were still in the same position and location after the war as before the war. Not these letters alone were sad, for sometimes a whole drama could be read from one or two short letters. One day we found among the dead letters a note written in a feeble, scrawling hand, It was by a boy, a prisoner and sick, in one of the penal institutions of New York. Sick, poor fellow, and imploring his mother, oh so piteously, to come and see him. He was in the sick ward, he said, and if he had been wicked, and had struck at his stepfather when he saw him abuse his mother, would she not come to see him only once, for all that? She must not let his stepfather prevent her from coming. He was dreaming of his mother and sister every night, and he knew his mother would come to him. But she must come soon, for the doctor had said so. Perhaps the letter had not reached the mother because the stepfather had taken her out of the son's reach, for in the course of a day or two we found another letter addressed to the same woman by one of the prison officials. The boy, Charlie, had died on such a date about a week after his letter had been written, and he had looked and asked for his mother to the last. About letters written by German people I have noticed one peculiarity. They never omit to write the number of the year in some part of the letter or on the envelope outside. Sometimes it is written where the name of the country or the state should be found on the envelope, so that the direction would read Jacob Schmid, St. Louis, 1865, or they write it at the bottom of the letter instead of signing their name, and then write their name at the beginning of the letter, as though they are writing the letter to themselves. Everything is heavy and clumsy about their letters. They never indulge in joke or sentiment and through the negligence of one of the German clerks, the most serious trouble had almost been brewed in a German brewer's family at one time. It happened this way. A substantial German brewer had written to Hans Biersoffel, dunning him for money owing on several barrels of lager. Hans must have left the city. At any rate, the letter came to our office and was returned to the brewer. But unfortunately, a very sentimental letter, containing a copy of some lovesick verses written by a German lady, and held in the office as a curiosity for a little while, had by mistake, of course, found its way into this letter. The honest Dutchman had meant to return this piece of property to our office at the first opportunity, and therefore carried it in his pocket-book, where his wife discovered it, seized it, and held it over his head as the sword of Damocles for ever after, as he could not prove to her satisfaction that the letter and verses had not been sent to him by the writer." At the time i belonged to the corps of dead letter clerks there were three rooms fronting on 7th street fitted up as offices for the lady clerks and one very large room on the other side of the hall a straw mat was spread on the stone floor in our room one office chair was furnished for each lady and desks barely large enough for two ladies to work at without elbowing each other and in one corner washstand and water In the large room, some twenty ladies were writing, while four or five folders had their desk in the same room. Of the other rooms, one was occupied by the lady superintendent, together with whom were from four to six ladies. The next room also accommodated six ladies, and the last one, which had the look of a prison from a high grating running through it, afforded room for four others. There were old post office directories, boxes containing printed matter, and such-like valuables kept behind this grating. And one day, when a party of sightseers came unasked into our room, the youngest lady there, whose spirit had not yet been broken by the weight of the responsibilities resting on her shoulders, explained to the gaping crowd that behind this grating were kept the silver and household furniture of General Blank, the assistant postmaster, boxed up while he was recruiting in the country. This was a twofold revenge, the young lady said to us. It was punishing the visitors for their inquisitiveness— an old blank for having the grading put up there. Several years have passed since I last saw the post office building. The ladies of room number blank were then petitioning to have this grading removed. Whether their petition was granted, I have not learned. End of Down Among the Dead Letters by Josephine Clifford. Read by Colleen McMahon.